Well, the obvious stuff is that you have the kind of strength, probably the pillars of what underlie your performance. So, what are your components of fitness, and how are you targeting those components of fitness? But like, the further I get into it now, the kind of the more I feel like the next step that you can make to improve teams now, or to to kind of stand out, to either stand out as a coach or to make your team stand out, is not so much like with your strength stuff or with your fitness stuff, because everybody's doing that stuff. It's about how you can get that to translate to the way they play more. Hello, welcome to episode 17 of FitSake Podcast, brought to you by FS Gyms. This week, myself and Rudds are joined by Killian Reardon, the um, SNC coach with Leinster and just turned professional boxer. Killian, how are you doing? Yeah, very well. Thanks for having me on. Very good. And Rudds, how are you doing? How's your weekend going? Uh, I've been a little bit better after our challenge yesterday, but uh, in general, good spirits. We're going to do a. Myself and Rudds did a 10,000 calorie challenge yesterday, Daniel, or Daniel Killian, uh, thinking food. Um, we basically, I ate 10,000 calories from uh, unprocessed foods, and Rudds ate 10,000 from processed or typically oh, seen as bad foods. I felt so rough last night, I didn't have a good night's sleep, and then uh, today I haven't eaten yet, I've got a banana and a protein shake sitting in front of me that I know I need to tackle at some stage. But I, why, why did you do that? Um, the big motivation was basically, the, we had a guy, Connor Gallagher, who worked with us for the last few months, um, and he had a YouTube channel, and he did a, a 20,000 video. I, I didn't get to watch all of it. How did, I don't know if he I survived. Did, I didn't yeah. watch it, but basically we, we, were, we were inspired by that, and obviously we do a lot of work with people on the nutrition side, and yeah. um, <clears throat> I think there's something interesting in it in terms of, like we've been talking a lot about people feeling guilty about eating certain foods and like how that affects your willpower then and decreases it. So we just wanted to do a challenge where like one for ourselves to see what it felt like, yeah. but two to show people that like, you know, at the end of the day, like there's better choices, but still like a calorie is a calorie, but also show the, that how when we eat more like unprocessed foods, that how, how much like harder it is to eat that amount so like we won't give too much away yeah, yeah, but basically we'll good stuff. basically to contrast like one to show like you know breakdowns and barriers is in like if you're a fitness professional you still might eat an ice cream you still might eat these yeah, things yeah. and no, nobody's perfect and nobody lives amongst life but to, and not not to feel so guilty about eating those things yeah so for sure. for, uh, and, and but then the other side of the coin was to contrast the difference between well if you eat mostly processed foods how hard is it to eat that 10,000 calories or if you eat mostly unprocessed foods how hard it is and it was it was a lot harder we, 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 yeah. Yeah, both, <laughs> both both of us uh, grossly overestimated our powers yeah I yeah. feel terribly sick still I haven't eaten yet I had a tiny bit of food this morning but like I, could, I couldn't sleep at all last night I was like I only got to about 7,000 calories right, but uh, I ate like 500 grams of porridge with like a the couple of hundred grams of berries and like <laughs> I just couldn't look at porridge this morning I still feel <laughs> sick but anyway it was good good test good experiment we'll keep it for another episode and um, but obviously a great great weekend for you lads in Leinster a big win over Munster yesterday yeah it was brilliant and like you know after last week I suppose the thing was would we be able to turn around and come back up again that was a question that we would have dealt most with over the last training week and 
Lads turn it around and definitely showed up yesterday, so it was brilliant. And what was it like during the week? Uh, it's obviously played up in the media a lot. Um, you know, the, like Munster targeting like a, an emotionally vulnerable Leinster, all that kind of stuff. With you guys who were in that inner circle, was there much of an emphasis from the start on um, getting back to that emotional level again? Because I know, like I think Leo Cullen, when they won the, um, was it 2011, they won the Heineken Cup and were beaten the following week in the semi final. as well. Yeah, so like it's obviously something that's difficult to do. Yeah. I, internally, was that something you were aware of or did you just say, look, next game, just focus on it? Uh, no, it is something that uh, people are aware of and I think Stuart and Leo particularly would have kind of managed the situation with that in mind. So, uh, like, I suppose in my head, the fact that it was Munster this week maybe helped us yeah. because it makes that kind of emotional shift from going from something that is a kind of a higher tier of competition to something that might be perceived as the, the second tier of competition. Yeah. And trying to come from that high and then come and compete in the other one. But the fact that it's Munster in the RDS, you know... It shouldn't be difficult to get up for that. Important. Yeah. And yeah. the group of guys we have in there now, we're kind of the the group mentality in there now, or the way I see it, that, you know, they just want to win every game. So it's not necessarily about, well, just hiding cup or, or just a league game or semi-final, but that they just... They just want to win every game. Everyone yeah. touched the pitch, want to win it. And yeah. Reese coming back yesterday, Rudd's delighted with that. Yeah, absolutely delighted for him. Yeah, um, and he did really well. Um, and he's made it through in one piece. So, no, so happy for him. Um, I was at the game watching it. And just to kind of touch on what Killian said about the group mentality in there, like, it's incredible the squad of players they got. Like, for instance, like the players that came on off the bench yesterday, yeah. like young lads, yeah, Rory O'Loughlin like was incredible yeah. off the bench like he tackled everything um, and so you can just see that like you know there's there's not just 15 guys it's not just 30 yeah it means there's, so much to the whole squad 40, 50 lads who are yeah. you know who are, mean so much to them and are incredible players one guy one guy can't play someone else steps in and they're incredible and so hungry for it so I think Leinster's definitely in such a strong place at the moment yeah, and hopefully we get some more of those kind of insights into what's going on there from Killian throughout the episode. So we're going to hand you over to Rudds as usual, talk through the key three areas for us, Rudds. So the three key things we'd like to get out of the podcast today would be an insight into preparing elite athletes for competition, uh, strength and conditioning for boxing, and how you manage full-time coaching and training for a professional boxing bout. Cool. Yeah, time management skills there must yeah. be interesting. Uh, so obviously you're working as an athletic performance coach in Leicester. How long have you been in Leicester? Uh, so I've been in there in some capacity since 2011 internship in 2011 and did you cross paths with Rhodes much throughout that Rhodes was in the academy back then so yeah, yeah. Any records on the board Rudds are at in at that uh, stage? I, I had like a few brief stints in pre-season so like a lot of the time uh, Before like, all the main men came in <laughs> So my, 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 third, my third year in the academy um, it was the World Cup so a lot of guys went away with the World Cup and then so a lot of us were brought into the senior squad for the pre-season yeah, so yeah. we trained in the gym with them um, and like I was very keen to make an impact so I'd really like come in in shape and uh, I had a really good pre-season I got on the board for a few things like briefly uh, like one, one or two things maybe out of 12 so I got on for like one or two and then like Keen Healy and stuff came back and then just wiped wipe yeah. me off the board and then I was looking up at his thing and I was like okay I don't know if I can get to that one again yeah yeah, yeah. so um, no it was great me and Killian used to cross paths a lot in the the supplement room uh, Killian would be in there working hard 
uh, that was where my office was. That was his office. Come on. And and, I, and all the food was in there, so I used to go in there a lot and um, and all the free supplements. But I'd be in there, and Killian was studying at the time, and I was studying at the time with you in yeah. um, in UCD. So we'd be constantly chatting about. Tim Gabbett and all these Let's types say, of things. I remember you bringing him up and me being like, yeah, I don't know who that guy is. Yeah. I, it's like I was still in my undergrad, I hadn't started reading stuff yet. Yeah. Um, and then, kind of eight years later, he ended up, Tim Gabbett ended up doing the the assessment for my, my postgrad. It was just a weird one because I remember that conversation with you yeah. seven years ago now. Madness. Because we, 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 we were doing we, a for we, the time we, motion we analysis, a, yeah. We were doing our thesis at the time, and I'd just been through and like referencing, and we'd referenced about 20 of his papers, but yeah. I just kept remembering, like, if you wanted something on this subject, Look up Gabbard straight go away, to yeah, him, yeah, and yeah. He, he'd have like 18 papers on the thing. So you were chatting, you were telling me that you were getting your lit review together. And you put me And, and I was like, just. Google him and that'll be a serious start. Um, but yeah, no, so me and Killian obviously um, had similar interests in that. So we used to chat a lot about um, kind of just sports science and yeah. different things. And um, I always remember Killian, would, you'd be training with Jay a lot. I was the only guy who was a weight match for me in there. Yeah. I was the only guy I could lift with. Uh, no, but <laughs> you guys used to do sick conditioning stuff. I remember, like, like as a player, you definitely respect coaches like that because you'd see the two of them doing like horrible circuits for conditioning and you just kind of look in and you're like, okay, fair yeah. play. It, that, it, that's definitely, like, it definitely builds respect. It's like your old man down in Lansdowne down banging Lansdowne out the 160 bench. on the bench or whatever, just rocking yeah, in yeah. for no warm-up. Uh, but so over the last kind of seven seven years or so then, it being involved in that environment, um, what, what are the key things that you guys think of from an SNC point of view when preparing at elite athletes like the guys in Leinster for a competition? Um, I suppose... Well, the obvious stuff is that you have the kind of your strength, probably the pillars of what underlie your performance. So, what are your components of fitness, and how are you targeting those components of fitness? But like the further I get into it now, the kind of the more I feel like the next step that you can make to improve teams now, or to to kind of stand out, to either stand out as a coach or to make your team stand out, is not so much like with your strength stuff or with your fitness stuff, because everybody's doing that stuff. Yeah, it's about how you can get that to translate to the way they play more do you know okay. and probably what what I see guys who I think are really good doing is helping maybe rugby coaches and rugby or whatever sport it is deliver their sessions in a way where all the stuff you do in the gym or all the kind of fitness preparation stuff just carries through a little bit better so it's more about helping the actual delivery of the sports training program to become better that's where I see the kind of the next the next improvement yeah as being you know and for you guys then in Leinster, how does is that come down to very specific, you know, conditioning games? Is it very specific stuff in the gym that translates to the pitch? How, how does it transfer? We like the coaches we have there now are you know so experienced and have such a such a kind of a, a solid way of delivering the rugby program that we do very little extras or top ups or any of that kind of stuff for players and that's and I think that's kind of a mark of a good programme that you're not having to you're not having to chase what basically should be just baseline yeah. elements of fitness. They should just be there. And the fact that the rugby programme in there is just delivering those makes my job a lot easier, makes our job a lot easier. And it just it keeps it relevant. So it means the stuff that we do, like the strength that we build in the gym and uh, the fitness that we build in pre season and that kind of thing that Play, most of the time during the year players are just learning how to translate that into performance instead of 
chasing a number that we see as being yeah what you have to do, what you have to have in order to perform in the sport, you know? It's great to hear that as well because so many people get, it sounds like it's it's obviously the performance is the biggest thing and so many clubs, particularly in the last couple of years, you sort of just from listening to a lot of podcasts and watching a lot of documentaries, they do get very hung up on the numbers in the numbers, gym yeah. or the baseline. We have to be at such a level of fitness. Whereas if the performance is taking care of itself, uh, you know, obviously all your markers are correct. If you're winning collisions, if you're winning rocks, if you're getting over the gain line, if you're, you know, a team that can close out in the last 10, 15 minutes, yeah. they're, they're your markers. They're what your markers should be in terms of well, field sports anyway. Yeah, and I think what differentiates between teams that do that and teams that don't is usually like technical execution, technical and tactical execution. So how aerobically fit, anaerobically fit and how strong you are is obviously important, but it's probably, as I say, a baseline that's strong, that's strong enough and then once you're strong enough and fit enough, your next scope for improvement is probably not so much from becoming stronger and fitter, it's from translating that through better, which might look like fitter on yeah, pitch. Yeah. But yeah, so it's just moving, shifting that emphasis from to what to the measure that you're talking about yeah. from you know one k test times or what your squat strength is or that kind of thing. You know, you're, you're more conditioned for the sport as opposed to fit. So, so I'm doing um, a course at the moment, uh, and from a guy called Joel Jameson, um, and he's a MMA conditioner, and okay. going through online lectures. And one of the things he talked about is he's like this fitness and this conditioning. So you can be very fit. So like you're talking about the one k time or whatever it might be, whatever the metric, and you could be really fit in that. Yeah. But then you might not be conditioned for the sport because the sport isn't exactly the same as that. Yeah. But by doing the sport at a really high intensity, under pressure, at a fast pace, the more you do that, the more you become conditioned for the sport. Yeah. Um, and I've just from an anecdotal um, measure, I've definitely noticed that where um, I like say for instance in the preseason, I'd get my PB in the one k time, and I'm like I'm so fit. And then I'd go to play my first match and I'd be absolutely gassed after like 20 or 30 minutes. And I'm like, oh my God, I thought I was fit. Yeah. But it's just it's just different to that. Yeah. And then, But then when I find that I get two or three games under my belt, my engine starts to come back. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, now I'm ready. Like now, now I'm ready to really, now, I'm yeah. really ready to perform yeah. to my best of my abilities. Whereas I find for the first one or two games that I come back, I'm more just kind of trying to hang in there so like you know you get to like you get to 20 minutes in the game you're like right let's get to 30 at this and then you get to 30 you get to half time and then you're like okay I've got, I've got another 10 yeah, minutes yeah, yeah. shepherd's hook girls get off if you're blowing off for 20 yeah. minutes i'll be taking but, you off but you, you, start, you start to like things where you're like okay if i can just get through the next 10 whereas what i found is when i be thinking like that i'm kind of like i've got loads in me i can definitely just throw i can definitely there. just keep 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 going and but even as Reese from yesterday like he definitely was past all our, our baseline markers yeah. a guy coming back from sort of medium or long term layoff like that would have to hit certain strength markers have to hit certain fitness markers and they would be that would be the baseline that we'd say well this is the minimum that you need in order to play the game and those those measures are useful but still ask me yesterday you still need to play that first game yeah to 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 kind of get it out of your system and you know he was blowing coming off yesterday yeah he will be yeah it's a tough game to go into as well the first 10 minutes of that what what you're talking about you're both going to touch on the same thing there and um i listen to myself and Rudds are big fans of the rugby pod i don't know if you listen to it um but basically they were talking about the the Tuesday sessions um yeah. apparently don't like is is that a real thing is that like mimicking sort of match intensity consistently on tuesdays or 
Yeah. Fill, yeah. fill the people in, let us know what goes on there. Basically has a, a system of, you know, kind of three teams being out there and they play play phase after phase after phase and it's pretty much non-contact but the amount of the amount of phases that they play and then change the position of where the ball is on the pitch and what teams are facing each other and it's just continuous so depending on how kind of tough he wants that session to be he'll either do it for 15 minutes or 20 minutes or 40 minutes do you know yeah but players know that they're gonna have to essentially play 15 on 15 rugby and deliver quality in that session in a sort of a, a fairly kind of chaotic scenario yeah uh, and th- like they don't know how long that's going to go on for so they just have to show up and make the right decisions and deliver until they're told not to and that's pretty much what a game is as well you know? yeah so yeah I think those days are really useful and that's more or less that's more or less what I'm describing when I'm saying well that Leon Stewart are running a program there that's uh, that prepares players or conditions players for the game without having needing a massive intervention from an SNC staff. That's so good to hear that because that imagine for you guys as SNC coaches and like athletic performance coaches, yeah. you see everything on kind of a before it gets to the the competition. Like you guys can sort of gauge your progress with the squad as early as a Tuesday in the week. Guys are looking good; they're up to the standard that yeah. that the coaches need straight away I, I was down at the watching the Lions actually train over the summer oh, yeah. I, um, there was a Temple Street thing myself and Mike from the gym went down to watch the Lions train in Carton House and uh, they're doing something similar to that um, yeah. but like the intensity I'd say they were going for maybe 12 minutes and uh, right. it was th- three teams again and I'd never seen any pace like it at any training I'd been to it was very mild contact so there were some guys had suits on so you could tackle them right. but uh, Andy Farrell was there and uh like the the intensity that the coaches were bringing for that kind of twelve minute block and the players they were just all so clued in the standard yeah. was so high and this was at the end of a tough session when they were already yeah, fatigued yeah. I've never seen execution like it in such a tired situation yeah well Dan, in our situation as well the players know that that is the key component of training within so they just get up for it they're like this is of all the windows in the week of all the training windows in the week where we need to deliver this is the main one like to really get up for that Tuesday session so and even from a confidence point of view it's probably huge if you can go as a, as a squad because that's the squad you've got three teams 40 odd guys like we're talking about the great squad that's in Leinster if you can have 40 guys 45 guys leaving the pitch feeling like they've put in a really good concise clinical session that's going to bode so well for the rest of the week yeah exactly in terms of like a takeaway for the people out there who are listening who are, who are like me in terms of like an amateur rugby player or maybe someone who's working with an S&C coach for an amateur team um, like the key takeaway there is for conditioning training at tempo and making things chaotic making things really match relevant and playing at pace in training is going to carry over to a game and that can be our conditioning so like for, for, for people like myself and maybe coaches out there bringing in an element of that and using that as your conditioning could be something that would really help you to translate the fitness into conditioning for a match. Yeah, I agree. Like, I'd say the, your most worthwhile kind of thing you can do is try and build a relationship with your rugby coaches or whatever, whoever's in charge of the team to try and help him to develop his training as much as possible to you know, make sure that the training is doing what you're talking about there instead of spending all your time doing top-ups or extra work with guys. And as well for a player's standpoint the, the way you talked about you've never seen intensity like that um, for, for players so myself trying to bring that tempo to your training and trying to really push the standard because what I what I found is when, as I went up higher and higher levels the pace so say for instance the pace trainer with St. Mary's 
and then you go up and you train um, and like a really good stand at St Mary's and then you go up and you train with the Leinster first team yeah. completely different pace and yeah. you blo- like you're blowing so hard in a session that's not conditioning and I remember like my first couple of times or even when I went back in when I played for Leinster a, a few years ago yeah, yeah. Um, in, and I came back in and did a, a session with the first team uh, the A's versus the first team and I thought I was really fit then. I just played for like the Island Clubs team and all this type of stuff. So I was like, oh, I'm in great shape. And I got back in and portrayed that intensity again. And I was like, oh my God, yeah. I'm so unfit. Because it's just a different pace. And even one time when I went and trained with the Island squad um, as like someone to run against them, again, just a completely different pace. And it's driven by the players as well That's as the, the coaches. Thing, yeah. So like for people like myself who are amateur players, trying to really drive that pace in training so like you could have the condition games three teams on and you could play against each other and it could be the same timings as Leinster do it but it might not be the same conditioning effect unless you as a group of players are all really Really trying trying to drive that intensity and push that because it, it, it could be exactly the same plan as the Leinster plan but it's the mindset of me as a player trying to drive that pace is going to push you as a player and you as a player I think that's really important you need a couple I know from just training like playing junior rugby and coaching schools and stuff underage you need one or two like perceived arseholes in your team that are always on top of people pushing standards you know like not the guy who's smashing someone in touch at the start of training but like someone who when you go into those drills is not afraid to get in your back and drive the standards up, especially if, like Rudd is talking about, any kind of junior coaches that are listening or coaches that are working with underage teams, like promoting that real competitive element when you need intensity in sessions yeah, yeah. is so important. Yeah, but sometimes even the best way to do that is bring in some of the academy guys into some, some of the times we get that kind of competition that you're talking about is when we bring up some of the academy guys. Hungry boys. senior sessions. So they've got a point to prove. Senior boys then have a point to prove against them. And, you know, you get that. Yeah. Class. I think as well, like just knowing that it's so beneficial would be a really good way. So like we're here and we've got the opportunity to speak to you, Killian, and find out what's going on at the pinnacle of rugby at the moment. Um, so for for me, listening to that, I know I know it's a real benefit, but that reinforces to me the value of doing that. So if you're a rugby player listening at the moment, when you're going back into your preseason sessions and you're playing touch games, you're playing condition games, you know that this is what the best people in uh, in rugby are doing at the moment to become as fit as they can. So if you know that, that's going to really drive you on. It's going to motivate me to really push myself in the condition games as well yeah. as pushing myself in the sprints. Instead of just trying to get through them. And then, Killian, obviously with... Uh you made your professional boxing debut t- 3rd of March this year yeah 3rd of March yeah it seems like it. yeah 3rd of March yeah congrats obviously is it t- two two wins so far so yeah two from two at the moment with another one on the 7th of July we're back here in Dublin again for another one so okay hopefully that keeps going you know? yeah yeah and uh, obviously what's the experience like how, how has it been in the last couple of months yeah it's been like it's been a really good learning experience um and it's been really exciting as well. Like it's something that I wanted to do, but it, it, you know, because I've, I've known professional boxers around Dublin or in Ireland for the last kind of ten or twelve years, and I've seen how much effort and time it takes for guys to be successful. So it's always something that it was kind of in my mind's eye is, you know, I sh- I should do this. I'd love to do this, and maybe I could get somewhere with it as well. Yeah. But you'd have to do it to find that out. But knowing what I know about what all those guys were doing I just never had kind of the life factors matched up to be able to give it that kind of to give it to give it what it needed so I was training away and I was doing the amateurs and kind of having 
varied levels of success and unsuccess in the amateurs but kind of the last year or so I finished my postgrad and changed my job in Leinster to one that's kind of positioned more in one place um, it kind of moved where I lived as well so I live very local now and stuff yeah. and my life just started to things just started to coalesce a little bit and I was like and my coach has been on at me for the last few years is, you know probably since I was about 27, 28 it's like look you've done okay as an amateur you haven't made any national teams and you're 28 years old like that's probably passed you by your style is probably more suited to professionalism anyway kind of the longer rounds different style of fighting that yeah. kind of thing is, and based on how the kind of pro boxing scene is in Ireland at the moment I think you do well as a middleweight or as a light middleweight and there's also a bit of momentum behind professional boxing in Ireland at the moment you have kind of promoters coming in there's a TV deal there now so once there's money there to be made then there's a bit of there's a bit of kind of push behind it so yeah. as I say things just started to kind of coalesce my life was matched up to do it and there was an opportunity there and I had a coach she was brilliant and people around me who could actually help me do it so like, yeah we jumped in fantastic uh, and with, with training for that obviously how, how long have you been boxing uh, I've probably been boxing seriously since I was 21 okay and yeah. were you, before that was there much of it going on not nah, like bits and pieces but we call it serious I'd say I was serious comp- competing seriously as an amateur from 21 okay um, and what what are the big sort of uh, for for your own strength and conditioning? I suppose exactly like we're talking about. What are the big things that you look at coming into competition? So I suppose the way you kind of do most things on kind of like an eight week training camp coming in. I'm still only doing four rounders, so eight weeks is a lot. But uh, kind of do a lot of stuff on. I suppose the most important thing for me is because I have a good base of strength and conditioning because that's something that I've been interested in since I was a kid. Yeah. So that's my big scope for improvement is actually on the technical side so I really kind of emphasise that and make sure I spend most of my time doing that every day but early on in a training camp do a good bit of strength work build up a lot of road mileage do a lot of track mileage make sure that my kind of fitness base and it's the same kind of thing as what we're speaking about with rugby earlier on build those baseline levels of strength build baseline level of fitness and then spend as much time as you can working on how you're going to translate that and make that count for you yeah. so basically boxing learn becoming more efficient in your technique and then training at higher and higher intensities but within boxing so that you can kind of deliver that fitness you know? so, so going kind of generally eight weeks out to building to more specific as, as you come into it yeah exactly that'd be a good kind of a good basic way of describing it yeah. yeah in terms of just for someone like myself who doesn't have much experience in boxing and conditioning for boxing what what would a typical week look like for you in terms of like how many strength sessions are you doing in the lead up to a fight how many how many sessions are you doing doing your kind of typical road work or your more aerobic work and then how many sessions are you doing um in the ring just a rough idea because i know there's going to be people out there young guys who have you know who are keen boxers and they don't have the uh, the systems or the setups that we had as rugby players to give us an idea of what they should, what a rough week should be looking like yeah and to be honest, like I'm not an authority on what a week should be looking like because I'm kind of feeling my way through this as well. As you say, like it's not like boxing's not like rugby where we have this kind of system and then kind of like an overarching administration that gives you schedules and stuff. You kind of guys are kind of out there working it out with their coaches yeah. as they go along. But but I can tell you how my week works. Absolutely, and I can tell you what's been working for me so far. Anyway, hundred percent record. You're the guy we want to hear from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so basically, I'll probably do a couple of road runs, somewhere between like five and eight k a week. Do a track session then on Sundays, which would consist of kind of a lot of sprint repeats and eight hundreds, which I like because oh Jesus, yeah, <laughs> I'm not very good at them. You like eight hundreds? Well, I, I don't like doing them, but I like the like the concept of them because we set up maybe we do like six reps of eight hundred meters with a minute rest between each one, and on that split. It will take you about, or it takes me about three minutes to get around. Yeah, yeah. And I can keep that pace. And for me, that's like... Six rounds, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it kind of, you know, it's a, maybe a bit of a facile comparison, but that those 800s feel like what fighting feels like. Yeah, I think so, Those yeah. late 800s. So it's just having that feeling. And also, even just the... Like you have a level of anxiety and fear going into those track sessions on Sundays that... Like it's good to kind of face Absolutely. that on a regular basis, you know. So we have those two road runs here, the track sessions. We do maybe two strength sessions a week. One that's more based on kind of max strength and just keeping again baselines yeah. at those levels, and then one that's more based on maybe like explosive stuff, rotational stuff, and you know just stuff that kind of translate to punching power a little a- bit more. Absolutely. And then just get down to the club every day for yeah. a couple of hours and let the coaches guide you from there. You know they know. They have, a, they have a plan for you. They know what type of boxer they want you to become. Yeah. And, you know, Steve, is he's a really good coach. He has six pros in there. And you can see he's building everyone in a different way, which is, you know, he doesn't just have a... A template. A template, yeah. And you get a lot of boxing coaches out there who used to be boxers, and what they do is they try to build boxers who box the way they did. Yeah. And that's not as valuable in my head as him looking at you, seeing what your attributes are and saying, well, this is what we're going to try and build you to yeah. be and train you that way. I think that that's like awesome insight for everyone listening who ha- would have an interest either as a boxer or who is working conditioning boxers. Like the kind of takeaways I take from that is you're not just looking at one uh, area of fitness or conditioning. You're touching on everything as in you're getting some strength work done during the week. Yeah. You're getting some force development which, uh, done during the week. You're doing some more aerobic steady state work, building a base, and then you're doing some more anaerobic type stuff. And yeah. then your, your sport specific conditioning goes on top well, of that yeah. so th- that, that's kind of a nice mix for someone who's out there who has no idea what they should be doing maybe looking at touching on all those areas in your training plan is going to help you and it might like you're talking about it might be individual differences in that say for instance if you're someone who's coming from a background maybe me if I was preparing for a fight I've done a lot of strength work so you, my training plan might have less strength work in yeah. it and more work on those other facets to bring me up or you could have someone who's come from a boxing background who's a very talented boxer, done loads of boxing, done loads of like road running in their conditioning. They might do more of the force development, more of the strength, more of the 800 type sessions to bring up those elements for them. So it, it can be individualized, but I think if you're t- hitting those, all those areas, that would be fair. That would be a good starting point. I think so. I think the second guy you're describing there is probably the more common guy because yeah. the way, just the way that boxing is, and again, this is just my interpretation of it, but like I think that the Ireland has a really good amateur history but amateur yeah. boxing is one thing like it's more like it's it's less about power it's more about the kind of the technical abilities you have these guys who go out there and they have so much technical ability and throw it all out there over kind of 9-12 minutes and then but it's, it's it's predominantly about technical ability and those are the guys who are successful but there's a lot of guys out there then who, who don't necessarily translate that well to professionalism I think a lot of that is because the style of it is more, there's more value on fitness, there's more value on 
being able to hit hard there's yeah. more value on those kind of things and guys the, the culture around amateur boxing as far as I can tell even at the elite level is maybe missing a little bit of emphasis on the strength side of things so so guys don't have so if you're strong if you have a good base of strength you can get very well conditioned in about six weeks if you're not strong if you don't have the baseline levels of strength it doesn't matter how much conditioning you do you'll never be able to deliver yeah. force anyway, yeah. anyway and I think that's probably the the basic building block that guys are missing and it's like a psychological aversion to it as well say oh I don't want to get big I don't want to get muscle bound yeah. you don't realise that that's not actually a thing there is a way to train force development that doesn't make you into a bodybuilder yeah. you yeah. know and boxers need to get their head around that because there's guys who are going to miss out on their potential as particularly as professionals and probably as amateurs as well because they don't get that basic development in early on you know do you think part of that is in my experience training people in the gym uh, for a general population um, is with strength work there's more of a barrier to entry I found from a point of people it's easier to just get up off your couch and go for a 5k run or a 10k run if you don't have the knowledge, if you don't have the knowledge yeah. um, whereas if you're going in and you're trying to do a deadlift or a squat uh, it's something that you you benefit hugely from someone telling you these are the sets and reps you should do. This is the technique. So a lot of people are intimidated to come in and start deadlifting, yeah. start squatting. Yeah. Whereas going out and going for a run or going and doing an interval session running or, you know, on the on the elliptical or whatever it might be, yeah, there's yeah. less of a barrier to entry. Do you think that's part of it where uh, yeah, pe- yeah. people are kind of put off by... I think less and less so. I think you're right. But I think less and less so. Like like you guys know from working in this industry, yeah. like it's getting bigger and bigger. People want to train properly now. Yeah. They don't just want to kind of look good. They don't just want to look good. Or that the reasons why people, in my head anyway, the reasons why people are training now are shifting towards better reasons. Yeah. Than yeah. What they would have been, or the way kids were lifting weights when I was in school, was ridiculous. You know, yeah. and it was definitely not good decision making. It was just to get big upper bodies. Do you know? Yeah. Now people want to be healthy. They want to actually perform. People train for performances. So gyms like this are starting to do much better. There used to be gyms like this. I suppose CrossFit were probably the first ones to actually come in and train guys with performance in mind. Or the first kind of big, um, what's the word? The first big movement. To yeah, train. absolutely. Lay people with performance in mind. There's a lot of problems with CrossFit as well. But yeah, it's, the, it's the that concept, concept is good. Yeah. The concept and people are kind of coming around to that concept now, and they don't just want to train and look good they want to kind of build their whole lifestyle they want to eat good and feel good yeah. and, you know, and, and that's you guys know that better than anyone because you build a business on look, it, you know? I think breaking down those barriers and like seeing people do those things like for instance I competed in my first weightlifting competition on hot, rods, hot rods on the weightlifting on Friday night um, you go? great I really enjoyed it yeah. um, Aoife's been coaching me Te- quickly tell the story yeah, about quickly about the oh, guy okay yeah you've got like two minutes I'll, to tell I'll the story topic, but basically um, the <laughs> I walk in and there's a room where everyone's warming Rod's up. a big guy. Like four you know, platforms. Yeah. Um, four platforms, people warming up and I don't know anyone in there. Um, I get assigned to this platform with two lads who train at this place called Capital Strength where the weightlifting competition was on. Um, so you're in here, you start warming up here. Cool. So I was like, obviously a bit of tension, icebreaker. Don't know the guy. So I walk up. I was like, hi, my name's Kieran. What's your name? And then they t- one of them tells me the name. And then I walk up to the other guy. And I was like, hi, my name's Kieran. What's your name? And he goes, my name's Mark. I was like, nice to meet you, Mark. Um, and then 
the other guys on the platform lift and we were sitting there and I was like, oh, I'll probably say something to build a bit of rapport here. Rod's got a small talk. Yeah, small talk. So I said to him, I was like, is, is this your first competition? He's like, no, I've done two or three others and he's telling me about them. I was like, oh, that's awesome. And um, so then I went back to sitting there waiting for my turn to go and I could see him looking at me and uh, he turns and he looks at me and he goes, are you the guy who's uh, opening at 100 on the snatch? Because you can see the list of who's going to open at what. Okay. And there's a guy who's opening at 100 on the snatch. And you have to call your wife? Yeah, yeah you yeah. have to like say what you're going to open at. And it yeah. all goes up. So they, they go heavy, lightest to heaviest in terms of what order you start on. Yeah. So I'm sitting there like 110 kilos. Uh, and I turn. And he's obviously thinking the biggest guy in the room is going to lift the heaviest weight. So I turn to him and I was like... Um, no I'm actually half that and I'm opening at 50 <laughs> I was like this is my first time this is my first time doing it yeah. uh, so well thanks for bringing it up the, yeah, yeah. thanks for bringing it up but I like, I like your confidence in me but yeah. uh, oh, quality sorry just off to, topic but just, yeah, to get back, just to get back on topic um, but even at that uh, there's more and more people doing that side of training now and competing in these things because yeah. people are doing CrossFit people are coming to gyms like ours and they're doing um, lifts that before we seen as only for athletes yeah. so doing a deadlift doing a squat doing yeah. a hand clean doing a snatch all or these types for gym monkeys like all, gym yeah. all these, yeah. which people do want to be exactly yeah. they're just the, 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 the conception was 10 years ago they're just for meatheads or they're for athletes Correct, yeah. now more and more people are doing them and more and more people are seeing people doing them and the barriers are being broken down like so for instance um, all our fiancés are training in the gym here now and <laughs> all our fiancés we're all getting yeah. everyone's getting married, getting married. Everybody's getting married. Yeah. Yeah. but they, they, all, they all love they all love doing the strength classes now so they're doing like deadlifts and squats yeah. and bench and chin ups and all this Olympic lifting and they're, they're, they're coming home and they're so excited about I got a PB in my deadlift I got a PB in, and, yeah. and like talking about that and loving that side of lifting and the more and more people see that and get into that I think that breaks down the barriers so yeah, people, people are understanding the benefits yeah. people understand the benefits and it's not like such a thing where there's so much stigma, stigma attached, attached to it yeah. like my, you talked about I don't want to get big my, my pen was going 90 there I'm going to try to get through all the points because you were saying some savage things the first one when you were talking about uh, the difference between pro and amateur boxing like I've always wondered like I'm, I am I like boxing I've never really done much training in it but like I love watching professional boxing I like watching UFC yeah. um, like I love watching especially the documentaries and the build ups like all the 24 sevens and stuff but I've always wondered and it's great to hear you say it that in Ireland such a great history of amateur boxing yeah. and I know a few boxers and right. I've always wondered why like there's never much of an emphasis on their strength training and they're all like no it doesn't matter I need Culture to be technical science is guiding the ten, tends to be guiding like I don't want to be uh, unfair I mean there is guys out there running really good kind of fitness programs or really good boxing programs yep. including fitness and you know when you look at the results that the the high performance unit is delivering you know yeah. they're, they're certainly covering their bases you know um, but it's just it, it is a pattern that I see with guys that they just haven't been brought up with that with that kind of goal in mind so if you can kind of compare it to what goes on in Leinster so we went back at the start of this conversation we talked about oh well if you have your baselines boxed off yeah. then you can focus on developing the game and translating all these kind of physical capabilities that you have into your game but you have to have your baselines boxed off and what Leinster have in, in my head that makes it so valuable to have an academy and a sub-academy system that means by the time we get a he's physically pretty much the finished article so then the, the job for kind of the guy doesn't get injured and make sure that he just stays in the rugby programme and the rugby programme is going to deliver all of his kind of further improvements yeah but I feel like 
there's probably boxers out there who don't get the benefit of having their baselines ticked off early. There's no good reason why your baseline shouldn't be ticked off by the time you're 20, 21, 22 years old. Yeah. That, that you don't have to ever underperform because underperform you're not strong enough or because you're not fit enough. Like that shouldn't be a thing. If you if you train properly in your teens, and and that's an area for these guys as amateur boxers, um, like clearly they're very technical because that's where the big emphasis in amateur boxing. It's on technique. That's where your wins come from. Yeah, exactly. So like for me, if I'd be looking at that gun, when my gains here, I'm obviously technically very good if I'm operating at this level. If I want to take the jump to pro, I probably need to develop some of those other like there where there's more areas for gain for them probably is their strength and their power development to help them translate their technique to you know proper more power when it comes to the bigger bouts but the other thing is that I can't only think of this now like as we're talking about it but like if you become a really really top amateur um, you know there's a there's a legit full time or a legitimate career in that for you, yeah. you know, there's no reason why you'd ever have to go pro if you are kind of the single best in your weight category in a country like Ireland yeah. that can be your job that can be your career but if you're if you're either not that guy or if you're kind of your abilities are kind of tilted a bit more towards something more down the pro side of things, then the fact that you haven't done all that stuff is going to bite you. The fact that you haven't kind of developed those capabilities, whether the amateur guy might get away from get away with it because all his kind of his his wins are based on his technical ability, yeah. so he'll get away with the fact that he hasn't developed his other uh, some other aspects of his performance. Do you know, but yeah. a guy who ends up not quite making it to that level as an amateur and then shifting into the pro game to try and do something in the sport it's then going to bite him that he hasn't done all the other stuff yeah, yeah. that might not have contributed to his amateur career but is now holding him back and that's where the other thing you said talking about coaches that's where great coaches come in because it's like anything it's like us training people in the gym like there's not necessarily a cookie cutter program like yeah, you're talking exactly. about everyone's got to train the same way and you see that to, to credit again I'm just going to use the Leinster guys as a reference like you hear so much about the way Leo and Stuart Lancaster coach yeah. about like they are coaching people and individuals they've got but people management skills they know what guys need to work on in certain areas and they know how to motivate people to pick the weaknesses in their game yeah. like that's what a good coach does he finds out what you need to do to improve what you need to do to take you to the next level as a boxer and then implements a very specific program for you so it's great to hear that there is that like who, who are your coaches who are you training with so Steve O'Rourke in okay. O'Rourke's gym in Inchicore is my coach so I've been with him for 8 years but as an amateur predominantly and now the last year as a professional so yeah and that, that's his strength like and that was what I would say sets kind of Leo Cullen and Lancaster apart as well it's probably their management of kind of the human aspect of those guys under them you know so important especially in sport like boxing which is the last thing I want to touch on you talked about was the the stress and anxiety before those 800 meter runs on a Sunday I was thinking before when we talked about it in the podcast I was like right how am I going to put myself in the mindset of a boxer I was like first of all I'm trying to think of all the times myself and my brother coaches here how many times we would have went toe to toe as kids trying to kill each other but yeah, yeah. That, that didn't really get me going but like I always think of um, track events so in school doing like 100 meter sprints 200 meter sprints like right. doing a little bit of running not very competitive but I used to get like so anxious when you're on the start line. It's just you, one wrong step, and you're losing the you're race. Man, For like, you, one wrong move in the ring, you're getting knocked out. Uh, like trying to think of it as sports. So I was thinking of the anxiety I would get before hitting the track and things like that. So it sounds really similar. Like I can really see how those 800 meter runs 
would, would translate to boxing very well. Yeah, well, I suppose to, to probably well, I feel know, sick even thinking about it. Like, yeah, it's probably two slightly different types of anxiety. So I know the anxiety you're talking about there, and you get that before fights. You're like, you know, everything that you've worked towards has gone on the line now. The anxiety I'm talking about those track runs is just that you know the What's next coming? hour is going to be really awful. Yeah, do you know. Um, but that's enjoyable afterwards as well, you know? Yeah, you know you've gotten through something real tough, like Damien yeah. Brown exactly. was talking about roads. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, if you go back and you listen to our podcast the Damien, he talks about that idea of just being comfortable with being comfortable. And the more you put yourself in that situation and the more you practice, like he was talking about self-talk, so like practicing positive self-talk, quieting down the negative voices in your head or practicing your breathing, how you breathe when it gets really uncomfortable. And the more you do that, the more confident you become in those yeah. situations. Yeah, yeah. So I think that that, that kind of translates to, well, you're, you're doing that Sunday session every week in the lead up yeah. to a fight. You've got a huge bout, a wealth of confidence that's based on something as opposed to going, yeah, I'm yeah. fit, but what can you base that on? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the kind of last area then, because there, there's some really good things in that, and what we're like a big thing people come to us with is um, time management. So, yeah. like, you're looking at basically coaching at an elite level, you're performing at an elite level. You've talked about how obviously getting all your kind of life and external factors in one place has really helped. Yeah. Like, what, what are the most important things for you in managing that workload on, on a weekly or a daily basis? Um, so, I suppose a couple of things. First of all, planning. So I'm, when we go into kind of an eight-week camp, I know what I'm going to do every single day for those eight weeks. So you have in place a program of work. This is what you have to get through. That's going to get you to that level. And then you're going to win that fight. Um, so you know what you're going to do on every every single day. And then you kind of just review that maybe on a bi-weekly basis with your work scheduling. Like, well, how are we now going to fit in those days? How are we going to make it work? And you just work out how you're going to make it work. And... and and like, and it is doable, but where it will fall down is if you don't take care of kind of the pillars that keep you going. So you have to make sure that you do prepare food. You have to make sure that you go to bed on time. You have to make sure that, you know, whatever other aspects of your life have to be taken care of to free you up so that you can do all this stuff is taken care of. So it's just about looking at stuff, maybe being kind of two weeks ahead, two or three weeks ahead the whole time, making sure that anything that's going to get in the way is boxed off and that's you make time for your training sessions the, the big rocks like that I find that's something that uh, Rudds you talk about clearing the clutter is kind of one of the references Rudds use a lot yeah. like if you're focusing on the big things that are really important if you don't have all those other little things taken care of you know the small things you have in your life that can yeah. affect your performance they can very quickly distract you and get on top of you make it difficult because yeah. you talked about what you're training it's not like a rugby setup where right we have a gym session on a Tuesday then you got to eat this then you got to do that I'd imagine a lot of it is self-regulated in terms of a lot of the work you do. Yeah. So like, well, also I'm lucky in that respect because kind of the the strength and conditioning side or the fitness aspect, like run, I can take care of that myself. So I plan a lot of that myself. I kind of do the content myself, and I have access to great facilities. And I can just go and get that done. And then when I go to the boxing club every day, it's just to capitalise on the expertise of the coaches. Coaches the club, there, um, or to get sparring with good opponents, whatever it is. But so I'm in a an advantageous position in this fact I'm slightly more self-reliant at least in some aspect so I can just go and get stuff done so it gives me freedom to plan that but yeah it's about getting the big rocks done and like if you have a day off or when you have a day off make sure you do five or six things in your general life just yeah. to take them off the schedule so you got a day off make sure you use that to improve your access to training then the next week you know I, I'd nearly just say kind of a like 
I disagree with you a teeny bit in the Go fact on. that you're saying you're you're very you're in an advantageous position because I get that a lot from rugby people would be like for my own team if I'm calling lads out for their fitness levels coming into important stages of the season I always get the will you work in a gym like it's easy for you to train it's like it's still difficult for you to you've got to still sit down plan your training you've still got to go do your training you're in that environment all day where you might be like oh, I'm kind of sick of looking at lads lifting weights or I don't really want to go do it it, it takes yeah. it takes energy so like don't don't sell yourself short there like you're still putting the time aside planning it and putting in that effort granted there's a gym there or, or whatever yeah, there yeah. is and you have the knowledge but, but you still got to put need, the work in I don't need to coordinate with somebody to come and, and do it with me yeah, do you yeah. know what I mean that aspect of it so in terms of like time planning and stuff as, as long as I just you know as I just work up the sort of mental energy to go and do it that, that's for, for, for younger guys probably listening in, I think that's a huge thing is that like you're talking about there's pros and cons to what you're talking about you're doing a lot of that on your own where some guys will definitely train better in groups or with partners that might they might see for that sure. as a benefit to them but like it's it comes down to if you want to get to the next level planning do whatever you have to do like, yeah, yeah planning organising everything else in your life to make sure you're it's not necessarily that it takes absolute priority but you're making it as easy as possible for yourself to go and perform on a weekly basis yeah, like what like a few of the things I'd love to touch on there for all the people listening who obviously who, who fund the boxing side of things but also just all the people I coach listening to you and saying right so Killian is like I've always said coaching at an elite level and then he's performing at an athletic elite level as well. That's and then I'm trying to. And then he's, he's winning, winning, winning at elite level. So, but, so far, right? yeah. but, but you're putting yourself through an elite level training program in terms yeah. of the volume of training you're doing, the number of sessions you're doing on top of a full time job. Yeah. Right? And how, how is he getting that done? So, th- what, what I'd say is you said you're looking after your sleep and you're going to bed on time. Yeah. That's a huge one for everyone I coach. So, in terms of we know we need to be getting seven, eight hours of quality sleep a night to go and perform at our best the next day and be productive and to get our work done and get our training done and also be able to re- be able to uh, recover from our training. But there's so many people I coach who just don't go to bed. Yeah, like you have you have to just go like like if you had a kid if you had a kid and get to bed, God, go yeah. to bed. But what <laughs> happens is when we become adults, we're now the one who's in charge of our bedtime and we can just justify staying up that little bit later so I think that's a huge one for people go to bed if if you want to be able to juggle a full time job and your physical training and get the most out of that go to bed the other one is you talked about preparing your meals so you prepare your meals and how that helps you recover but also how that helps you save time so that's a huge one a lot of people I coach I don't have time to eat healthy prepare your meals on a Sunday and that's a great starting point because for me that's something that's a habit that I've built up and I carry on all my like I've done all my life yeah. for, since I've been training in Leinster and you'd never not do it now. never weird not never, to, never yeah. not do it right? except for yesterday when you were scoffing pizzas in Harry Bowl <laughs> but I, I, I went I doubled up when I was going and buying all that junk food <laughs> I, I, I went in Lidl and I bought all my shops an opportunity week. to sound good I've, I've got all that, but I've got all my food I've got all my food ready for the week so now when I go home I'm going to prep that so like, that's again, a core yeah. habit and if you think of time management for me every day uh, when I'm in here and I never have to walk down the road 10 minutes to get my food yeah. queue in a shop for yeah. 5 to 10 minutes come back and 10 minute walk a lot of shit. So there's a ha- but there's a half an hour a half an hour of my day gone 10 minutes walking yeah. 10 minutes queuing 
10 minutes back that's half an hour and if I so I eat 5 meals a day but I eat 3 in here so that's, two and a half that's an day. hour and a half of my day that I've gotten back by preparing my meals yeah. so that there's a huge takeaway for people at home if you want to have more time go to bed and if you want to have more time, prepare more of your meals and you'll save a huge amount of time. And if you think of your recovery, and you feel good. you'll yeah. feel great because you're getting seven, eight hours sleep. The amount of times when I get someone to go to bed and sleep properly, they're like, I feel like a different person. And when they start eating more food that they prepare themselves, their body composition changes and their energy changes. So like, like Courtney said about vegetables are life. <laughs> Do you know, when she starts eating more vegetables, she's like, I have so much more energy. Yeah, so if you think of you trying to manage your time of going, right, I've got to do my full-time job, then I've got to go and train, you're so much more likely to have that discipline to go and do the sessions because you've got the energy because you've slept properly yeah. and you've um, you've eaten properly. Just one thing I'd like to touch on. So we know that if you get those factors along with all the other factors you talked about, you're going to be more likely to not go, oh, I'll do that session tomorrow. Just, just go do that session. Yeah. Yeah. But I know... Uh, and I'd imagine from my own experience there's loads of times when I don't feel like training loads even when I've ticked all those boxes just the general stress of the day I've had a really tough day you know things have gotten away from me and it's kind of like oh, I should train now but I don't but I've kind of got myself into a habit now where I just go do it mm. I've just built up that habit where no matter how bad I feel I just go do it unless I'm sick I just start and I always feel so much better always. after doing that session yeah. even if during the warm up for the first 20 minutes of the session, I feel like I don't want to be there. Yeah. Like, for you, I'm sure there must be times in your training camps in 8 to 12 weeks. How have you developed that thing where on a day where you're really sore, tired, you've had a tough day, how do you just get yourself to flip that switch and go do it? Um, I suppose the fact that, like, in boxing, your opponent's picked and you know eight weeks from now you're going to go into the dressing room you're going to come out the other side and get in the ring there's going to be a guy there and you're going to have to Ready fight Ready to kick the shit out if you haven't you know trained. I mean? Like, that, that, will focus, that will focus your mind, you know, in one sense. Another sense, like, because I'm not doing it on my own, I have a group of guys around me who are doing it. I have a coach who I have, you know, a commitment to and an obligation to in the same way he does to me. So, you know, you you're letting people down do you know so there's that Absolutely. as well so you guys have decided well we're going to do this together he's invested something in me and I've invested something in him so you owe it to each other I expect him to show up he expects me to show up you know and that's the same way that you guys run this gig you know uh, you show up to work every day and you expect your colleagues to show up as well mm. um, yeah and then but there is like there's another aspect to it as well I mean sometimes it is the right call not to train do you know yeah. and like and you have to be like, and that's nearly a bigger point like you have to be able to recognise that as well because like, if you're overtraining and cyclically overtraining to the point where you can't get on top of your training Absolutely. you're going to be in trouble as well so you kind of have to recognise what are the kind of negative voices in your head trying to get you to let yourself off the hook and yeah, what yeah. sometimes is actually a good decision or kind of a, a positive voice going you know what you maybe should have you maybe need a day off do you know so it's about trying to make good decisions on that or just recognising what's you trying to let, take the easy way out and what's you making a good decision as a general rule of thumb one thing I think but I don't know if you'd agree with me on this if it's a case of more often than not you don't want to train you're probably overtrained. that's fair enough whereas if it's a case of so for me what I find is say if I have my five gym sessions planned in a week yeah. if one or two of them I don't feel like training I think I'm probably 
in a place where like I'll go and do those sessions and I've and at the end of the week and my my strength markers are still going up and all that type of stuff then I think I'm I'm in a good place there where like there might be one day out of five where you don't want to train because whatever your day's gotten away from you yeah. and you just you know like it's, everyone has those days especially the people we coach there's so many people we coach that work high pressure jobs yeah. and you know there's going to be that one day where they're like oh, I don't feel like it today but if you can go make yourself do that, then uh, then you're gonna just feel so much better. You get you get the momentum and you build this. For me, this is what's helped me. It's built that discipline that, that even though I don't feel like doing it, and it's just one time, not five days in a row. I mean, yeah. That's different. But it's just a one time, and I just go make myself do that. Then that helps me when it's time to go to bed. Because yeah. I don't feel like doing it, but I'm used to going. No, this is what I said. I need, like you said, I've made a commitment to this. I do it. Do it I get my sleep. Or if it's a case of on Sunday when I don't feel like making my meals, no, make your meals, yeah. and then you feel so much better for doing that yeah. at the end of it. Otherwise, you're chasing. I mean, that's a, that, that making your meals in particular because you're chasing your tail every day for the week. Yeah, do you know. If yeah. You, if you have but it's just that that feeling that you have then. That it's again, it's so many people that we coach is that like the falling off the wagon all these types of things where like you know I'm behind and oh I'll start next week and all those things they only creep in but that's all in your control if you yeah. go and you're preparing you plan and then you just decide I've said I'm going to do this one thing. I'll do, yeah and just keep doing the one thing that's in front yeah. of you it's like I'm supposed to train at 11 o'clock today train at 11 o'clock today then it's on to the next job whereas you let one or two things slip and it spills over into every area of life you feel behind you get on top of yourself you're anxious you don't sleep like you know and I know from the way you're dealing with everyone else around you and your family and everything like I know from experience this this has happened those you know running our own business it's you know it's not nice like there's a perception that we're supposed to be training all the time in super healthy guys and if we let it slip for a week or two or whatever like I really feel like shit and then I'm like oh it's so much effort to get back starting again whereas if I just do what Rudd says there and just train just get in and do it it mightn't be perfect you're going to feel a little better but most importantly you're going to feel in control of your actions and, and your way you're control. going yeah that's yeah. a good way for them and take I think control, it's, it's yeah. exercise food and sleep like we've said this stuff all the time people listen to the podcast they listen to Joe Rogan's podcast where this stuff is talked about all the time and they'll for some reason be listening to this right now and going that doesn't apply to me the people are that that way inclined. They're listening, go. Mm, doesn't apply to me. Your man's a professional boxer. But there's a lot. Of, work. There's a lot of hassle associated with that for somebody who does neither of those or none of maybe none of the three. Yeah. But particularly the food and sleep, because you know, well, everybody trains. Yeah. Right? All sports people train, but not all sports people eat well. And yeah. I'd say a lot of sports people don't sleep that well. Do you know? So, and a lot of people will kind of. I don't know. You tell me if this is right. Probably no better than this. Kind of in within a, a general population, I think a lot of people would think that they box off most of healthy living by coming to a gym and training every day, and yeah. then that would be their effort in that. But they don't realize that probably their next big scope for improvement is to clean up the other two areas. Yeah, like when we had Johnny on, he was a prime example. Of, he talked about we talked about the idea of like coming to the gym one hour a day or doing the training that's the fun bit that's the easy bit yeah. it's the 23 hours outside of that what are you doing and that's your scope for improvement and yeah. I think those 23 hours are the things that all of us will really really gain in our training but also our health and our feeling you talked about feeling good and adding to your relationships yeah. I'm just a much better person to be around when I've had 7-8 hours sleep as opposed to 4 he's cranky he's cranky and uh, hungry you don't want to be around me when I'm hungry he's not good at either of no, those things uh, yeah uh, brilliant so before we shoot into the quiz which is going to be no, no. Y- y- you're, you've 
got a lot of st- scope on the line here with your colleagues up in Leinster if you get any of these questions wrong they'll be interesting but uh, yeah. with, with your next fight coming up who, who are you fighting? Uh, so that's all being done this week okay the opponents and stuff like that so assassin promotions who are my promoters will be in during the week and uh, they give us some options and Steve will pick one basically whatever Steve says okay that's good trusting your coach yeah. and where can people find out more information following you on Instagram uh, Instagram yeah I, I'm not great on social media like, I should be better but uh, some I'm, good pictures up there okay, yeah yeah. I've got a couple of pictures up but uh, for the length of time they've been on it's not too much uh, I'm on Twitter but I don't do much on that but Instagram would be the best best place brilliant we'll throw up all the, the show notes and everything people keep an eye on your next couple of fights thanks but, uh, much, yeah thanks man Let, let's see how this goes uh, right. over to the Hoover distract me so lads, it's a Leinster rugby themed quiz and I put down as the fitness forfeit as well that it was, uh, I was Googling up all night, like boxing kind of fitness assessments and one that came up was the uh, Cooper test. I don't know if you're familiar with yeah, it. I'm not. Just oh, 12 minutes. Yeah, yeah, Although the 800 meters sounds pretty good as well, but I'll read it out anyway and we can decide at the end. Uh, the Cooper test, so 12 minutes, uh, just trying to get as many laps of 400 metres as you can, but a bit more boxing specific would be the 800 metre. So, well, yeah. I'll go with the 800 metres as well, just for time. Yeah. Well, Best I'll, one. Be, I'll, do, I'll be in the track at Irish Town next Sunday. So. Yeah, so Rhodes, you can go join yeah, him when you lose this. Exactly, if I lose so, this, I'm out there on Sunday. Sunday. Okay, what time? Next time, we, we can pick a time, usually 12 o'clock ish. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Three questions each, and then in the event of a tiebreaker, there's one at the end as well. So, they have to fight each other, yeah, spar. Fight to the death. So, first one for our guest, Killian. Which former British and Irish Lion, Leinster and Irish rugby legend played League of Ireland football with Shamrock Rovers between 1973 to 75? Like, I'll, give you, I'll give you a hint. He's currently working as a journalist. I, I don't know. I can't even think of who it might be. Guess anyone. Guess, what? Guess someone. He was a Leinster player. Yeah. Um, British and Irish Lion. In the 70s. Journalist. <laughs> right, right, right for the Indo. <laughs> Hang on a second. Oh, Francis. Neil Francis. No. No. Tony Ward. And he actually also played with Limerick between uh, 81 and 82. Did he? Did he? As well, yeah, Limerick as well. Uh, sorry, who did he play football with? Shamrock Rovers. Yeah. No, are, you, are you a football fan now? Uh, not League of Ireland. No, I'm not no. a football fan anymore. <laughs> I used to support Man United, but I don't even know who plays anymore. So. <laughs> Rods, who was Leinster's sole try scorer in the 2009 Heineken Cup final versus Leicester Tigers? Ooh. In Murrayfield. I think I know. Oh, I know. I know who it was. Rob Carney. Recently retired Jamie Heaslip. Oh, nice. Okay. That was wrong, though. Nilal. Jamie. Killian, how many Rugby World Cup winners have played with Lancer? I just want a number. Four. Bang on. Yes. Australia, 1999, we had Owen Finnegan and Chris Whitaker. South Africa, 2007, CJ van der Linde. And then New Zealand, Brad So, one up to Finnegan. Rudds, how many Celtic League slash Pro 12 titles have Leinster won? I say two. Four as well. Four. Yeah. So, still one up to Killian. For the win. Yeah. For the win. Killian, what year did Leinster will be play their first game? Uh, this could be anything. Man. And I'm not going to give you a range. I'm going to be really no. stingy about it. Yeah, yeah. 
This could be anything. Uh, is it... Not a four. It's a four-digit year. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. Yeah. Uh, is it 1948? Oh, no. Rhodes has his hand up. Go on, you hit it. If, I, if, I if, if, if you get, if you get it, I'll, I'll give you uh, yeah. I'll give you, yeah, I'll give you the point. point. I'll give you the point. Change the rules. Of the okay, fair enough. <laughs> okay, but for, for the sake of it, give a guess. Go on, give a guess. 1956. No, Jesus. 1875. Rhodes. You should have said nothing. Oh shit! It's on the crest. It's on the crest. Like, we work there every day. Probably. You probably pass by every day. And You're getting sacked. Uh, <laughs> fuck yeah. Okay, Rhodes. So in order to uh, bring it to the tiebreaker, what country was the recently retired Jamie Heasley born in? Ooh. So easy, Rhodes. I'll give you a hint. It's not this one. It's not this one. I was like, how are you going to give it a hint? We're not giving that away. Come on, Rhodes. I'm delighted for you. You know, going back to the uh, Damien Brown pod, we know rugby, uh, we know Rhodes' uh, geography skills is not good. I'm going to say America. Yes. No. No. Killian, do you you know? Yeah, Israel. So, Rhodes, I guess you're going to Irishtown uh, yeah, next weekend. Irish sprinting. Next Back to my PE days. Yeah. Nice bud. Hope you enjoyed that episode, guys. And if you want to learn more, check us out on Instagram at FSGyms. 